What do the latest CPI numbers tell us? Don't believe everything you read. Are we still creeping towards a recession? How's the Fed going to act this time? And what should you do to prepare accordingly? The Watchdog on Wall Street explains. Check out the Watchdog on Wall Street podcast on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Thanks to your support, Patriot Mobile has emerged as one of the leaders in the parallel economy, and they have big news. Patriot Mobile now offers service with all three major networks. This means if you're with the big three and like the service but hate their values, you can now access them with Patriot Mobile. Patriot Mobile also offers a performance guarantee. If you're not happy with your coverage, you can switch between the three major carriers for free. Patriot Mobile, America's only Christian conservative wireless provider, offers nationwide coverage on the best 4G and 5G networks. So you get the same great service while supporting a company that fights to preserve our God-given rights and freedoms. This new year, resolve to stop supporting companies that don't support your values. The Patriot Mobile 100% U.S.-based customer service team makes switching easy. Just visit PatriotMobile.com slash Dana. Get free activation today with offer code Dana. That's PatriotMobile.com slash Dana. Patriot Mobile now offers service with all three major networks. Just visit PatriotMobile.com slash Dana. The Santa Fe District Attorney has just announced it is charging Alec Baldwin with two counts of involuntary manslaughter for shooting and killing cinematographer Helena Hutchins and injuring director Joel Souza during a rehearsal in October of 2021. The movie's armor, Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, who was in charge of guns and ammunition on set, is also charged with involuntary manslaughter, while assistant director Dave Halls took a plea deal in the case. Mm, Huge news today. Well, we were expecting this news coming out today that finally even though it's been over a year of this a year of waiting alec baldwin is finally going to be charged with with manslaughter involuntary manslaughter welcome to the program dana lash here with you a very dry vegas good heavens i was promised rain there's no rain yet so it sounds like i've been like pulling an all-nighter i actually haven't i mean it's just i mean working hard but you can hear it I mean, it's crazy. That's how much it affects your vocal cords out here. All right, so welcome, welcome to the show. It's Thursday, and uh, we're we're broadcasting from Shot Show. This is this is. I saw this. The Wall Street Journal broke it uh, first. What the charges were going to be, and I think that this is this is exactly what I said would would probably end up. This is how I thought it was going to end up. Now, just to recap, this was on the film set of Rust, and it was in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and the. He was the executive producer of the film, and during one scene in which they were filming in this church, he had he shot and killed uh, the cinematographer, Helena Hutchins, and there were photos of him on set. I mean, he was crying. He was upset. I mean, he just killed a woman, and everyone wondered what the, you know, what these, what the, how this was going to play out because, you know, Baldwin, I mean, being the executive producer of the set, he bears, you know, a significant amount of liability for this. Now, there's a couple other things to factor in here because they also there's the there's the third person, and I believe one of the other one of the other producers. I think his uh, uh, and I'll get his name here in a moment. He had uh, already had a plea deal, and I think that's incredibly interesting because, from what I understand, there was a, an assumption of some criminal negligence. Now, the armorer in this Hannah Gutierrez is also charged with involuntary manslaughter. Now, if you don't know what an armorer is, anytime you have a film set in which there are weapons, you have, you know, a prop master, you have people who handle the craft services is what they call the people who cater, right? You have 
the people who the gaffers. You have the people who do the lighting. You have, uh, you know, everyone has their own specific wheelhouse, and they put it all together to make one thing. And if you have weapons on set, they have what's called an armorer. That's not a prop master. It's specifically an armorer. And typically, it's, it's someone who is well-versed in weapons training, uh, well-versed in, in handling. Uh, a lot of times, they have you know, military background, law enforcement background, you know, some sort of background. Um, usually, in the, in the industry, I mean, these, they're, they're kind of all... I don't mean veterans in the, in, in, by way of combat. I mean, they're all kind of like grizzled vets of this stuff, you know. And there are a lot of other people that are coming up in it that work and kind of apprentice with some of these other armorers. So Hannah Gutierrez's dad, from what I understand, was an armorer. And she was one of those people who was training up under him. She was the armorer for the film. And this is a very important uh, position because to get insured, to get all of this stuff for the film, you have to tell... You know, show, you know, if you were trying to get the film insured, you got to show that you're being responsible and you have all this stuff. And there were a lot of, if you remember, during, you know, the early days after Hutchins was killed, all of this stuff came out. All of these emails. Remember the stories about how some of the crew were threatening to walk off set because the film was underfunded and they were accusing the higher ups of cutting corners trying to cut costs and how dangerous it was and how there was one event there was one time when they would take they would take these the the weapons and they would go and they would do you know they'd take them away from set and they they are out in the desert in santa fe and they would do some some training and then they would bring them back on set and i thought well you're taking your set weapons out that might i don't know i mean i understand that they were training so that they could mimic you know what it felt like i guess if they were actually doing it you know filming it for a part but there were a lot of questions that were being raised and a lot of people were already saying that it was a dangerous environment as was so this Situation with the armorer, there were some who were saying that she was not experienced enough. There were some who were saying that she uh, was, you know, maybe too young, which I think is stupid. But Baldwin kind of seized on that and was trying to make it all out to be her fault. Now, remember, he's the one who hired her. He's the executive producer who hired her. He is the guy who determined that she had the credentials to do this job. And at no point. When any of the crew was, was, was raising these concerns, apparently, on set, at no point did he ever intervene, as was his responsibility as executive producer. I heard someone say today that, oh, well, she probably even bears more responsibility. I don't know if I agree with that. Because ultimately, he's the executive producer, and I find it sickening that some 60-year-old schmuck is going to sit here and try to blame the young woman. He's the one who hired her. He thought she was fit enough. You know, maybe if he didn't talk out of his ass so much about firearms and attack people who support the Second Amendment so damn much, maybe he would learn something from us. Maybe, just maybe, he might have learned that some of the stuff he was seeing on set wasn't safe practice. Maybe, just maybe, he would have seen that, hey, maybe we should make sure that, you know, when we're after we bring our, our set weapons back from live fire training, that we make sure that, you know, everything's all cool and everything's been... You know, we, everything's clear, everything's cold. Instead of just assuming, maybe I should learn how to check it myself also as the executive producer, who apparently was being accused of cutting corners, maybe even with the, the quality of armor. Everything falls on this guy's shoulders. Remember, he said he hired an, his own private investigator, and his own private investigator was like, yeah, they found sources. Uh, yeah, he's not going to be criminally charged for shooting and killing her. 
He was straight. He lied to George Stephanopoulos. I think we have this audio. He was talking to George Stephanopoulos. Stephanopoulos was like, did you pull that trigger? And he's like, no, no, no. I, I didn't pull this trigger. I, I Listen to this. This, is, this was uh, maybe a, a six, over six months ago. Do you feel guilt? No, no. I feel that there is, I, I feel that, that, that uh, someone is responsible for what happened. And I can't say who that is, but I know it's not me. Yeah. No, it's not me. It's a ghost. It's a ghost that did it. That's ultimately who ended up doing it. I mean, just unbelievable. So he didn't pull the trigger. He didn't do any of this stuff. And he was out there pleading his innocence. And at the same time, you know, he, was, he would say things that would slight the armorer. Well, now he's going to be charged with involuntary manslaughter. Now, I think that this is, I, I'm glad that they didn't overshoot their shot. Because these, this is realistic. And ultimately what they have to get inside the, the minds of the jurors is, you know, you're telling me you couldn't have done this safer? That's pretty much all they have to do. So, and the penalty, I can't, I, I'm trying to remember what the penalty is. It might be 18 months or something like that. But that'll, that, that's on his record. And there's accountability. But this is, you know, to, to, to have, I, I mean, I'm just, well, we'll see how this pans out. But I mean, I just don't see, there's no argument he can make. Remember, they also did a forensic report. There was a forensic investigation, and what they concluded was that, yeah, someone absolutely, he absolutely pulled that trigger. That's not, he did, it's not something that just magically goes off. That's not how guns work. He didn't even know, as the executive producer who hired the armor, he didn't even know how the weapons on his set work. This is, by the way, this is the danger of being so damn anti-gun that you're unsafe. He was so, he's been so opposed to firearms that he can't even bring himself to educate himself about the thing he's going to wield in a film while he pretends to play a badass. He can't even educate himself enough to learn about what he's wielding. That's a responsibility that you have. I don't care if you're being an actor or not. He could he didn't even have the knowledge to check and see if his own weapon was clear. That's that that is where anti-gun ignorance gets you. It gets people killed. And so he's now charged with involuntary manslaughter. Yeah, the, the audacity of this guy, and he was sued. I would imagine there probably is going to be more civil suits. I, kind, I mean, I'm just, I'm just sort of wondering, you know, if the crew can fire. I, I know that one woman, I spoke to Gloria Allred like a year ago after all this happened. She was working with one of the script writers who was saying that he wasn't even supposed to have a gun in his hand that day. You know, the stills from when they were doing the that scene because Dave Halls by the way was the third person that was the third person I mentioned he has a, a he had a plea deal and I can I can kind of see why he did it because Alec Baldwin was trying to throw him under the bus he told Chris Cuomo he said yeah he was the you know he was one of the safety officers of the film too and he he said this is a cold gun now why did he say it was a cold gun if he hadn't checked it's everybody's fault but Alec Baldwin's fault everybody's fault but his but the, the stills from when they were doing that, he had his damn finger on the trigger. How are you going to sit here and argue this? His whole trigger defense? I mean, it's just, it's, he's like, yeah, he, he said, oh, just the, it went off. The gun went off. He said he never pointed a gun at someone. Yeah, that's literally not. And then he also, he, then he blamed the other victim, the director, Joel Souza. 
He said, yeah, Sousa wanted to pull out the gun and cock it. He blamed everybody but himself. Every other single person had a part in what he did but him. They sent everything to Quantico. And they said that because you had Prop Master Sarah Zachary, Assistant Director Dave Halls, who was one of the safety officers, and then you had the armorer. And they said that Quantico did, you know, rubbed everything for fingerprints, all that stuff. But yeah, he pulled the trigger. Forensics determined he and he alone pulled the trigger, which means he and he alone pointed the gun at someone. And he and he alone bears that responsibility. So this, and I'm tired of everyone sitting here going, oh, it's the armorer, it's the armorer. Yeah, you know what? It's also him. I'm not saying that the armorer doesn't deserve a penalty. But I am saying that the guy who hired her and the guy who told the entire damn set that this is okay, that is, that's the executive producer. It's him. So I think actually he bears the blunt of the, he should bear the blunt of the penalty because he's the executive producer. I'm just not interested in hearing how, you know, from some of these drive-bys on Twitter who don't know, A, a damn thing about guns, or B, anything about how film sets work when it comes to armors. I know armors. That's not how any of that works. It's the executive producer. And they're the ones who ultimately can tell the armors what to do and not to do. If he thought it was unsafe to have the damn set pieces out there for live fire training and then, and then taking them back and then filming later in the day, that was his job to say something. So coming up, too, since we're here in Vegas... I went and visited the ATF booth yesterday. I took Congressman Lauren Boebert there. It was as about as interesting as you can imagine. I felt like they had a central casting call. Like, who can we get here that looks like people who would go to SHOT Show? Let's hire some people with beards and, you know, some guys that look like they may have fired some guns. Let's get those guys and let's put them over at the front table at, at the ATF booth. And it's weird because, you know, here at SHOT Show, which is the National Shooting Sports Foundation's big manufacturer's industry event, it's a private thing. It's not public. They don't sell guns here either. You're, they're showing off new technology. And the majority of the industry, by the way, is mom and pop shops. But instead of having them, you would think ATF would be in the law enforcement section, right? Because they have a whole floor. That's all law enforcement training, all this stuff. You would think that ATF would be up there, and they're not. You know where they are? They're downstairs on the lower floor in steerage where all of the mom and pop manufacturers are. No joke. And they've been visiting booths. I'm going to tell you all about this here coming up. You do not want to miss a bit of it. Black Rifle Coffee Company set out on a mission to make the best cup of coffee that's ever hit your mug. And I think they've hit that mission straight on. Their dream has been to sell enough premium coffee to build a support network for veterans, first responders, and law enforcement. And thanks to your support, that dream has come true. Black Rifle Coffee is roasted by a veteran-led team of brilliant coffee graders who work tirelessly to roast and bag the highest quality coffee here in America. And the coffee is truly one of a kind and my favorite. Your support has helped Black Rifle Coffee Company expand their team of active duty service members, veterans, and veteran family members. And they were able to donate over 120,000 bags of coffee to veterans and first responders in 2022. Visit blackriflecoffee.com Dana and use my code Dana at check out for 20% off your purchase and your first coffee club order. That's blackriflecoffee.com slash Dana. Use code Dana and also look for Black Rifle Coffee in grocery and convenience stores. Black Rifle Coffee, America's coffee. And now, all of the news you would probably miss. It's time for Dana's Quick Five, brought to you by Caltech. All right, so Jacinda Arden, who is the lockdown happy nut job prime minister of New Zealand, 
is now resigning, saying that she, quote, no longer had enough in the tank to do the job. Isn't that nice? They spent all this money on an election for her. And then now she's like, I just don't have any more in the tank. Bye, girl, bye. It it concludes on February 7th. She's going to continue on as an MP until the election this year. So there it is. She was, she's nuts. So she's the one, remember, she's all this crazy audio that we played from her talking about lockdowns and everything else. Nothing left in the tank. That's, you know, her popularity, though, took a nosedive after those lockdowns. I I think that's the real reason. Donald Trump is preparing for a return to Facebook and Twitter. Normally, this would not be news. Someone goes back on Facebook and Twitter, but they're fascists. So, by the way, Twitter is throttling. I think we were talking about this. Twitter's throttling me so damn bad, and I think it's because I hashtagged some stuff with SHOT Show. I had five tweets last night that sat there with zero views, zero engagements, nothing. Nuts. So, it's even. I think it's even worse now than it was before Musk took over. I really do. Uh, let's see. DeSantis is pushing to permanently ban COVID mandates in Florida. That's nice. He's uh, calling on state lawmakers to make permanent existing penalties for companies that require all employees to get the non-vaccine vaccination. His latest move to curtail the pandemic. It's not a pandemic mitigation effort. It is a cult practice by fairy tale fantasy people. The proposal would extend indefinitely and, it measure, and the measures that he signed in 21, they would they would codify that with legislation from the Florida legislature. So that's that's all that's all good news. This is um, dang, this is crazy. A mother and a one-year-old son were killed in an Alaska polar bear attack. So a polar bear chased several residents around a tiny, isolated Alaskan native whaling village, killing a mother and her one-year-old son. It's a very rare attack. Another community member shot and killed the bear. And it's the first fatal mauling in more than 30 years in Alaska. And it happened next to the front entrance of the school. It's a town in Wales near the Bering Strait. Crazy. Stay with us. we got a lot more in store. Broadcasting from Vegas. Friends, 2022 is history. Have you thought about what you'll do in 2023? How you will make it better than last year? Every new year is a new opportunity, so I have a great way for you to make the most of this one. This year, resolve to become a better educated American. And the good folks at Hillsdale College have made their amazing online courses free for all who wish to learn. And my challenge to you is just take one of their fantastic courses. You can discover the beauty of the Bible in the Genesis story, or study the writings of C.S. Lewis, or explore the true meaning of America in Constitution 101. There are many more to choose from, and all these self-paced free courses feature Hillsdale faculty and scholars. Visit Dana4FORHillsdale.com and pick one of more than 30 free Hillsdale courses. I hope you'll accept my challenge and resolve to be a more educated American in 2023. Pick whichever course you like at Dana4Hillsdale.com and start your free online course today. That's Dana4FORHillsdale.com. Listen to The Dana Show live on the Odyssey app, weekdays, noon to 3 p.m. Eastern Time. You know, look, he said that it was incredibly reckless to have classified. He said all this stuff, you know, on 60 Minutes. And, um, you know, now you find out he had him stashed behind his Corvette at his house that Hunter had access to, which is definitely a security risk in my book. And so I think it just shows you, um, you know, the, the, what, what some of these folks do. You know, they had all this stuff to say. Now they're acting like, you know, this, this is something like it's not a big deal. 
Yeah, well, he's right. That's Ron DeSantis. They're acting like it's not a big deal. Welcome back to the program. Dana Lash here with you. Did you also see, too, that Hunter apparently, didn't he, that, uh, there was a story that he had blacked out when he was hanging out. He blacked out near the classified docs. I wonder if he snorted coke off the classified documents. I wonder if he actually took some of the classified documents and rolled them up to snort coke lines. Uh, you think he did? Or make a painting? Nah, coke. Uh, and with some hookers in that house. I bet the hookers were also in the car. No, here's what happened. He had some coke and hookers, and then he snort, used the classified documents to snort cocaine off the hood, or as they would say in Mariel Jolly Old England, the bonnet of the Corvette, and the hookers were there too. That, uh, that sounds plausible. I think it happened. There you go. Um, man, I don't, I'm seeing all kinds of crazy sound bites that are coming out. I'm getting so distracted. Okay, so what you want to know, you want to know some fun stuff. I went to the ATF booth yesterday. So here's what's weird. So we're at and we're at SHOT Show, and it's an industry event. So if you're a gun control person, you might be like, it's the arms dealer show where all the arms dealers come together. Yes and no. But they make it sound like, you know, it's the ATF that got together and decided to sell guns to the cartels. No, it's totally not like that. The majority of the industry is actually mom and pop manufacturers like that's who's really driving the the technology and all of that and the advancement i mean there's some really cool stuff so it was weird that's why and i bring up that point because the layout of you know when you get here it's a private event and it's for manufacturers to show you know the industry the trades all that like what they're coming out with right and it's everything from firearms to things that go with firearms. And there's different floors, different sections, and they have a whole section that's for law enforcement, right? It's law enforcement stuff, so if police departments are looking to buy stuff, I mean, it's all that. And you, know, you would just think ATF, right? Alcohol, tobacco, firearms. You would think that, that they would be in the law enforcement section of SHOT Show because it's law enforcement, right? Or an assassin squad, depending on, you know, how you look at Ruby Ridge or Waco. Anyway, so I'm just saying. But they were there, but not, they, they have a booth here for some reason. They had a booth here last year. They probably have a booth every year. Now, if I'm being very, very clinical, it makes all the sense in the world for the ATF, the busybody gun branch of the government, to have a booth and try to maintain good relationships for the industry that it wants to regulate. I, I get all that, but it's also weird. So they had Steve Dettelsbach, who's the head of the ATF, talk here a couple of days ago. Best practices to stay compliant. No, it gets weirder. <clears throat> so they had this, and then they had their they have their booth. Their booth, as I said, it's not in the law enforcement section. Their booth is what I say is down in steerage. It's the lower level, where some of the smaller manufacturers are, and they're right in the middle. And I was talking to one of the guys from uh, 5150, and that's a manufacturer, a really cool company. And I, I'll tell you about, I, I got a new rifle from them, and it's just absolutely amazing. My competition triggers two pounds, and it's the same one that John Wick has. And so the whole thing on, so the whole thing with ATF being there is that they are in, the lower floor in steerage, right by all these manufacturers. And they're right in the middle 
with all these manufacturers, and they had this little, you know how some people just have like their vendor space, right? They have their, their space where they, you know, you walk in, they got their table, and they have their, what do they call the backdrop behind the table? Do we, what is that with the, is that what it's called? Like that banner behind the thing where they have all their logos and all that? Like it's all draped out. They got some stands for their merch, you know, all this stuff. So what the ATF had is they had this table in front of them and they had these computers. Someone was telling me they had facial recognition stuff there. I don't doubt it. And then they took turns coming up. So they had like different sections. Like you walk up to, you know, the bar, so to speak. And there's, you know, a couple of different guys there. They had people there from tech and all this. And then behind them, they had this like little mini food court area with no food, like a place where you could sit down and talk to people. Anyway, so... They've been going up. I was told by one of the guys at 5150 that they were going to the booths, the individual booths, and saying, well, you know, well, how you doing? Um, yeah, well, we just, you know, if we, we're going to have a two-hour seminar to, uh, you know, educate you guys how you can be compliant. They've been going to each of the individual booths, which is a new thing this year, I've been told. Going to each of the individual booths, asking people this. So that pretty much set it off. Because I was at first, I was on here yesterday. I was like, oh, I'm going to go to the ATF booth. Yeah, I might go if I have time. No, then I heard that. So we recorded some of it. And it's super loud. Like the crowd, the people started coming up behind us. And I took Congresswoman Lauren Boebert. Because I really also wanted to see the ATF's reaction to see her coming up there. And it was exactly what I thought it would be. So we're going up there. And look, I realize that I can be a bomb thrower, but if you really get to know me, and if I'm very, if I'm legitimately interested in the issue, you'll know. And I legitimately wanted to know why the hell they were there. I'm a taxpayer. I'm a gun owner. Clearly, you don't work for me. I'm your prisoner or something. So let's, let's, let's talk about this. And I went up there genuinely. I wasn't being hostile or nothing. Don't say that that's unusual. It is not. Stop it. I've only jumped off a couple of stages to confront hecklers at different rallies, once in Wisconsin, at the, and I confronted a big union guy. Uh, he was a big lefty, big, like, socialist left, but then he ended up liking me. Um, anyway, long story short, went over there, and uh, they knew, they saw us coming, and they were really uncomfortable. It was visible. And as I walked over there, it's weird because it's, it's like they did central, they got these guys from central casting. Okay, uh, Fed boys, let's look here. None of us look like the people that come here to SHOT Show. None of us look like regular, average, everyday American patriots. So how, what can we do? Let's hire some guys with beards and, you know, they look a little alternative. Let's do that. Let's hire those guys. Put them out in the front. They had these dudes out in the front answering questions. So we walked up, and I'm like, I want to go to the guy that looks the shiftiest. So <laughs> let's go to that guy. No, I'm kidding. Not really. So we walked up. And just, you know, start talking and asking questions. I said, you know, I'm like, why are you here? And I noticed there was a girl in the back. She's like nine feet tall. She had like reddish blonde hair. I mean, she did not like Bobert. And she was glaring. And I'm like, man, way to sit here and foster. I'm like, I see you. Do you think that intimidates me? Like, that just makes me grow another five feet. That's what happens when I see that. Anyway. So, you know, and I was being real chill with the dude. You know, and I'm asking him. I ended up asking him, I think, the bulk of the questions. I'm like, look, I just, you know, want to know why you guys are here. You know, and he was like, and he said, you know, we're, and I go, have you been going and talking to people about compliance? 
And he's like, well, yes, you know, and I said, you know, is this related to the pistol brace? And that was one of the things that because that pistol brace rule, they're trying to say that the pistol brace that was created for disabled people to use so that they can shoot guns um, is makes it into a short barreled rifle. You know how like an undrilled chunk of aluminum can be an actual gun by itself. So I was telling him this and I'm like, so you're talking about compliance and that I said, don't you? And I go and you're here. What in the name of like transparency? goodwill and he's like yeah of course and i go don't you think that's kind of awkward because you know y'all just banned like a lot of the stuff that these people sell <laughs> just i said you're, you're well i said i go let me let me modify that you're trying to ban it because it's a rule not a law i'm like so doesn't that isn't that a little weird that y'all are here i'm like how does that foster goodwill and he's like well you know we sent letters to these people and i go is this the letter that you sent to them telling them that pistol braces are totally legal and fine because i have the pdf of that i'm like so is that the letter I'm like, because, and he goes, well, wait, and that's when this other guy came up who looked like the great value version of Luke Giamatti, or uh, what's his face, Paul Giamatti, comes up, and he's like, well, what's, uh, what are you guys talking about here? I'm like, Jiminy Christmas, man. So, I'm, you know, and so I did the same thing to him. He's like, yeah, well, I admit, there was some flip-flopping. I'm like, oh, so, so you're going to make people felons because you're flip-flopping? <laughs> is that what it is? And then we kind of, and then that's when uh, the gal came up. That's when she came up. Man, I, hang on, I gotta mute myself. Anyway, so she comes up. And it's true though, man, you should have, you know what, she, so I didn't even know that was possible. So anyway, she comes walking up and she's like, kind of like, you know, is there, she had the expression of, is there a problem here? It went back and forth, like, is there a problem here or can I talk to the manager? I couldn't tell which expression it was. And so the one guy with the beard, he seemed like the chillest. And I said, and, and I'm like, you're talking about, you know, these, you know, furniture. And he's like, well, you know, no, it's actually, you know, it's about the gun. I'm like, you know, the furniture, he goes, it's about the gun, you know, the furniture. Uh, and, and I said, well, you're just splitting hairs here at this point. And then he just kind of pursed his lips together and just sort of looked down. It was almost like a tacit admission of, yes, I agree with you. And then one of the ATF agents he said, uh, you know, well, what Trump did, and then he scratched his eye with his middle finger on purpose, like just to let everybody know that he, yeah, that absolutely happened. He was the Paul Giamatti guy. And I'm like, you're with the ATF and you're sitting here doing this baby stuff with a finger. I, and I took everything I had not to say, just, you know, have the balls, man. If you want to sit here and talk some smack about somebody, do it. You're with the government, right? I've watched what you guys can do. You can raid people. So, you know, what do you got to fear? Just be open. <laughs> But it was a very interesting discussion. At the end of the day, they admitted that they flip-flopped. They admitted that it was totally splitting hairs. And um, when I asked if they were going to come on the show, they hell would not come on the show. They go, well, uh, you got to go through our uh, P&G office, and then the lawyers got to get involved. And I'm like, and wait a minute, you're here again in the name of transparency? I said, but I can't talk to you on air unless I go through a bunch of lawyers and then probably no. That's your neighborhood ATF, ladies and gentlemen. Wait, there's more scrutiny on whether or not they could do an interview mm-hmm. rather than the rules they put out for stupid cosmetic things yeah. on guns? Yeah, and that's the other thing. He was going, one of the guys, the Paul Giamatti guy was like, you know, this is all going to get decided in the courts. And I go, you realize you wouldn't have to do that if you had actually followed the Administrative Procedures Act. That's why why it exists. I said, you wouldn't have to have the courts decide this. And I go, because I, he kept saying, you know, we follow the letter of the law. And I go, you know, if you follow the letter of the law, you wouldn't have to have the courts decide this. So it was a very interesting conversation, and they did not want to come on air with me. None of them did. 
And by the end of by the time our conversation ended, there were no fewer than six ATF agents up there at that at that the table where they were at. They were standing right up there, like, oh boy, <laughs> it was fascinating, man. That's that was absolutely fascinating. So we got uh, we got more to come. I'll tell you, I, I got a lot more stuff happening. So uh, we'll fill you all in. I, I kind of want to swing back. I don't know. I wish we had a camera, uh, a nice big camera here. That would have been nice to be able to have because uh, that was a fascinating conversation. It really was. Red meat, black coffee, truth telling. The Dana Show. And you can sign up for the newsletter over at Substack, chapter and verse. A couple of really good things out. And we're going to get into some of it. Lorraine has a really good piece up today that looks at some of this this insane going back to the to the shot again going back to the shot vaccines for minors without parent parental consent and how one state representative in connecticut thinks it's just a grand idea and she discusses all of that i'll also be uh i'm in vegas we're in vegas right now for shot show as we are and the that's the industry, NSSF, National Shooting Sports Foundation. I'm going to be at Caltech's booth later because I want to go and see their, uh, their new KSG because I haven't seen it yet. All I have is a thing that says they got their KSG coming out. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. So we're, we gotta, we're going we're gonna to look at it. I'm also looking at a couple of other. Man, there's been some weird headlines that have come out about conservative stuff like recently. You know, I don't want to get into it because I hate people's drama. It's also inconsequential. I can't stand it. I know y'all seen some of it. I don't get it. You know why? Because everybody's out for they. <laughs> that's what it is. They is out for they. That's, that's all you need to know, especially when you know people who are in it. They is always out for they. So there, there you are. Uh, some other things to get into. I saw this other piece because we, we started the show off. Alec Baldwin's getting, he's going to, he faces 18, month in, 18 months in prison for the, uh, involuntary manslaughter charge if he's convicted so dave hall's already pled guilty to one count of negligence use of a deadly weapon and he was one of the other producers uh there or uh one of the other uh, the director there on set and baldwin was the executive producer i think the fact that dave hall's already pled guilty is huge um because how do you you know how do you tell a jury that oh he already pled guilty so what you weren't negligent and baldwin as the executive producer you know he's the one who hires the armor i think the armor is going to get a charge but ultimately, the executive producer hires the armorer, and he runs the set. That's your job. So if you see things that are, and this is where anti-gun ignorance, this is where it gets you. If, if, you know, if he spent as much time learning about firearms, doesn't mean he's got to support them. As, but if he just learned about them, learned how to handle them, learned how to recognize unsafe practices, then he could have called this out, and he could have shut down the set until safe practices were implemented. Apparently, this is what the crew wanted, but because he's such a dumbass, it never happened. Now, in addition to this, he said, do you know what he called the charges? He said, quote, this is a terrible miscarriage of justice. Cain said it was a miscarriage of a gun. It's true. He said him being charged with involuntary manslaughter is, I am quoting directly, this is a terrible miscarriage of justice. You're kidding me. That's what he said. Wow. I think the Hutchins family might have something to say about that. I'm telling you, it's just, man, some of the other stuff we're going to hit today. My friend, Stephen Hallbrook, I'm going to uh, quiz him about this pistol brace stuff. He's a second amendment attorney. He is all law and order. I mean, literally, I mean, he could be like actually on law and order. Uh, he's uh, 
one of the few who's defeated the ATF in the Supreme Court. He's going to talk to us about some of what they're doing, the legal pathways to challenge them. We've got a lot of stuff happening. i got wokery for you, all kinds of stuff. Stick with us. More of the show, second hour on the way. The Watchdog on Wall Street podcast with Chris Markowski. Every day, Chris helps unpack the connection between politics and the economy and how it affects your wallet and your 401k. What do the latest CPI numbers tell us? Don't believe everything you read. Are we still creeping towards a recession? How's the Fed going to act this time? And what should you do to prepare accordingly? The Watchdog on Wall Street explains. Whether it's happening in D.C. or down on Wall Street, it's affecting you financially. Be informed. Check out the Watchdog on Wall Street podcast with Chris Markowski on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. What do we come out of it? What changes can be made? Because where you have a person where, where, as I said, this is one in a billion that someone puts a real bullet in the gun. That never happens. And oh the idea gosh, that it, a real bullet was in that gun and would come out of that gun and kill that woman, that, that was not even in the realm of possibility. And that's the thing that they must find out is where, who brought bullets onto the set. Uh, the lady that you hired, the armor. Welcome back to the show. Dana Lash here with you. And we are at the top of our second hour this Thursday broadcasting from Vegas here in SHOT Show. Here's the thing. So the, the prosecutor just released a statement and the husband of Helena Hutchins just released a statement. All of them just released something like, in the, like while we were on break here. And so the charges, so Baldwin's being charged with involuntary manslaughter, faces 18 months in prison. The armorer. Hannah Gutierrez also faces a charge of involuntary manslaughter. Now, here's what's interesting, um, because there's been a number of reports about because Hutchins has her own attorney. One of the stories was that she the move that he was doing in the church when the shooting happened, he was doing a cross draw, which looks cool, you know, and you're carrying and all that. But if you are not like super proficient, you're flagging yourself and everybody else. And he didn't know what the hell he was doing because he didn't go to the training, according to her attorney. They were trying to get him to train more on that for technique, and he would not go. That's crazy. So all of this. Now, in the meantime, the prosecutors released a statement. After Baldwin came out and said, this is a terrible miscarriage of justice. Well, the prosecutor tore into him, and he said, an actor doesn't get a free pass. So... The prosecutor said this is he doesn't get a free pass and he's going to face justice like everybody else. Now, in the meantime, the husband released a statement that he put up on Facebook and discussed the involuntary manslaughter charge. And so the statement from for the attorney for Matt Hutchins. Oh, no, sorry. They were talking. It, it was shared on Facebook, but the statement was it came from his attorney, uh, Matt Hutchins. And he had said that we want to thank the Santa Fe Sheriff and District Attorney for concluding their thorough investigation and determining that charges for involuntary manslaughter are warranted for the killing of Helena Hutchins with Conscious disregard for human life. Our independent investigation also supports charges are warranted. It is a comfort to the family that in New Mexico, no one is above the law. We support the charges. We'll fully cooperate with this prosecution and fervently hope the justice system works to protect the public and hold accountable those who break the law. And Hannah Gutierrez Reed's attorneys, the the armorer also, uh, they had a statement. And they said that, quote, Hannah is... 
and has always been very emotional and sad about this tragic accident, but she did not commit involuntary manslaughter. These charges are the result of a very flawed investigation and inaccurate misunderstanding of the full facts. We intend to bring full light, et cetera, et cetera, and that she'll be exonerated of wrongdoing. Now, there's, I think, a number of ways, you know, to look at this, the with how all of this happened, because, you know, as we and and more of this is coming out, the armorer and because i understand people are like oh well she's the one who put all the she's the armor she has the guns you have a prop mastery of an armor but the the producer the executive producer is the one who hires the armor and if you think that your armorer is being unsafe it is your professional and legal responsibility to remedy that so if they're bringing like one of the things apparently that was happening was they were bringing these uh taking their set pieces their set weapons and and I understand they were doing live fire training, which I don't, you know, I think that's good if they're if they're in this film and they're trying to uh, make sure that they understand what it feels like when they when they squeeze the trigger and they want to have that as part of the, you know, the their 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 acting. That makes sense. But then you have a big responsible thing that you got to do. You got to make sure that everything's cleared, uh, that everything's unloaded, uh, that the ammo is secured, etc. When you're on set, because. You know, it's it, when you're running that set, I think it's everybody's responsibility to understand what is in their hand. And with, with Baldwin, you know, if he, he was so anti-gun for so long that he was, he, he viewed people who are anti-gun view being ignorant of the subject as a virtue. They think it's virtuous to be completely stupid about it. Well, this is what happens. He's running the set and he can't tell that there are unsafe practices. The crew was able to see some of this stuff. They were able to see it, but he can't. And so that's that's why I, I'm wondering how I and I think the charges are I think the charges are she should have been charged. I definitely think he deserved involuntary manslaughter and whether or not those are, you know, what happens with those with those charges, we'll see. But I think that they were completely appropriate. I don't think that the I don't think that it was more than what could be proven in court was filed. All they got to do is put that, you know, the seed of doubt in jurors minds that, wow, you mean, really, that's all you you, you couldn't have done anything more to guarantee safety. When that was your job and the fact that you had uh, uh, the other the director of the film who already Dave Halls or assistant director he already pled guilty to a charge of negligent use of a deadly weapon so the fact that you already have that that's pretty significant I think so we're gonna watch this and see how this plays out but those two statements today for, and the decision to charge Alec Baldwin with involuntary manslaughter and the death of Helena Hutchins now I know you guys are done with the pictures of uh, Hunter Biden. But uh, one more. No, no, no. It's him and his dad's Corvette. So Joe Biden, Joe Biden's his, his Corvette Stingray, his son is pictured with, uh, I don't know if those are two members of the family or just two random females. You never know with Hunter. Uh, with Hunter Biden's in the car, driving his dad's car. In the... He's by in the neighborhood by the house. That's him. He's driving the car. So he had access to that garage where they had classified information. The fact that the press is not losing their mind over this. I am so done with the I'm done with all of it. Trump had documents. In, and and whether the argument is over whether he properly disclassified them or not. It's in the weeds at this point. He had documents that were in a secure area in Mar-a-Lago that was guarded by Secret Service. Okay, Joe Biden, as vice president, six for six years, didn't have all that. 
He had these documents literally in a hoarder's corner of his garage where his crackhead son was in and out of. Now, people were freaking out because of where the documents were at Mar-a-Lago, but they're not freaking out over where the documents were at Penn Center, where you were sharing it with CCP members, or the house where the crackhead was at with the car. They're not upset over that. I, I just, I can't take anything they say seriously about this. Absolutely at all. Not at all. You know what? The, the, the partisanship, they really screwed the pooch on this. They really did. Think about this. There was no way that, the, there's no way they're ever going to be able to charge Trump with anything for the, any, even if you wanted to have it be worst case scenario for the classified documents, there's no way it's ever going to happen. And the reason being is because they didn't do anything with Hillary. She was in possession of classified documents, and they didn't do a damn thing with her. Not a single one. And so you can't sit here and say that the argument that they made to not charge her, that somehow what he did, even though he had executive privilege and declassified them, you're going to charge him when you didn't charge her? They can't risk that, that being that biased. Some people were making the argument that maybe there's, there's a technicality about the statute of limitations that Biden may be able to use to prevent himself from you know, being charged. I don't know, though, because I think they, they, I've read a couple of different things on this because the charges are based in the Espionage Act. It's 18 U.S.C. 3282. So you have a five-year limit on prosecuting people for, for non-capital offenses unless it's you know, otherwise provided by law. So the files, what, they were moved in 20, what, 2017? after when Trump was took over the White House. And it was, I mean, it's been six years now. So I don't know. There's been some who say that, uh, I don't think that the attorney, John Lausch up in Chicago, I don't think that he would have recommended any charges or, or not charges, sorry. I don't think that he would have recommended that Merrick Garland get a special counsel if he thought that the statute of limitations had passed on this. So I think that kind of answers it pretty Pretty cleanly. I, I saw a, a couple of you asked about that, and I went. I was like, eh, I don't know. Let's look into it. But that is that's the reality of it. Now, a couple of other things to hit as well, because we're here in Vegas. We're here in Vegas for Shot Show. I got to get to this. So Stephen Colbert, who I don't like. Remember when he used to be funny? He was actually funny at one point because he was very. I think one of the part of the one of the things I like about comedians. And in fact, I think this is maybe one of my most important, one of the most important things I like about comedians is the, even if it's put on, an unawareness that you're funny. Like when they're aware that they're, that they are funny or they're trying to be funny, it's less funny. You know, I mean, it's one thing to crack yourself up, but if you think that you're hysterical, you know what I mean? This is different. And at some point that happened to him. He really got high on his own farts and really thought he was funny. And then it was like he tried to make everything hysterical and oh, he's a hysterical genius. And it's just cringe. So he did this uh, monologue the other night. And Huffington Post wrote about it. And he had the the piece was titled Stephen Colbert reveals what Republican insiders really think of Ron DeSantis. Now, nobody thinks of Stephen Colbert uh, in any way knows Republican insiders. He cited this report in Politico that was clearly written by an operative where they said that, oh, DeSantis takes on a likability issue. 
So let me tell you this. One of the things that I've heard pushed by operatives, and I know some friends that are that work as this in, in politics, the big thing that they're pushing is, oh, he's not likable. Oh, he's not likable, or he just doesn't have any charm or any charisma. That's what is being pushed. That's such an op. Because I met DeSantis. I was, I've, I've, I've met DeSantis before, he's, and he, I found him to be very charismatic and, and very engaging. The exact opposite of all the talking points that have gone out. And now Stephen Colbert, he says in his monologue, he says um, that Ron was at his best on, on, he's at his best on paper. And he says his line particularly that irked me, because I hate it when they go, oh, hey, dude, how, the, how are you doing there, fellow kids? He goes, he's got the smooth style of a non-playable character in a PlayStation 2 game. Well, first off, I know someone wrote that. It was probably some dorky old millennial that wrote this line who barely understands gaming. Nobody says non-playable character. They say NPCs, you absolute dork. And he did not write this himself. That's like saying, you go to the internet.com. Nobody does that. Somebody wrote this normie A-double snakes line for him, and he delivered it like he was a cool kid. Gosh, he is so, so insufferably cringe. That right there, he's just not funny. And he's arrogant. He's one of the people. I, I'm not like this with people. Rarely. There's a, oh, I don't know. I make exceptions. He's one of them. I look at him, and I'm like, I don't like you. I don't like you with your job. I don't like you as a person. I wouldn't like you if we were in an elevator together. I would not like you. You know what I mean? You just come across some of those people and you're like, nope, you're toxic. Everything about you is trash. Right? Does that mean? I think it. No, I think the arrogance thing is true. Like, if someone's way more arrogant than they should be, their comedy is not funny. It's just the way it works. Yeah. I mean, sometimes they get offered $50 million. All right, so we've got to get moving. we got a lot more on the way. And now, all of the news you would probably miss. It's time for Dana's Quick Five, brought to you by Caltech. So now Illinois is promoting, someone said it's their newest suicide attempt, a wealth tax legislation. They're introducing it this week. This is nuts. Golly, why does Illinois hate their people? Seven states hold about, they said seven states hold 60% of the nation's wealth. Yeah, it's California, Connecticut, Hawaii, Illinois, Maryland, New York, and Washington, according to the Tax Foundation. Hey, what do all them states have in common? Oh, it rhymes with Democrat. They say the left-leaning proponents and taxing as blah, blah, blah. They're trying to introduce a wealth tax in Illinois. Golly, do they want to be completely empty? I mean, I'm just, you know, I'm asking for a few million people. Amazon has started firing 18,000 employees. Their human resources boss and retail chief sent memos out to everyone saying everybody's the job cuts have started. Going to expect eight. They're going to lay off more than 18,000 people. Now, look. Some of that was they had to hire people because of the lockdown and then Christmas season. So there's, you know, let's be, let's do keep it kind of real, right? You know, uh, let's see the, um, the Saudi, who oh boy, Saudis confirmed non-dollar oil trade plans in Davos. So instead of the petrodollar, it's, oh boy, this is where, so China and, and China's uh, president Xi has been visiting with Saudi leaders and they started the petro on. The leap in China's growing OPEC plus influence. Good heavens. Not good news at all. My friend Stephen Hallbrook is going to join us next. He's uh, an attorney who's defeated ATF before SCOTUS. Stay with us. Your one-stop shop for the information you need to fight back. If you're going to have to learn stuff, you might as well enjoy it. The Dana Show. Do you feel guilt? No, no. 
I feel that there is, I, I feel that, that, that uh, someone is responsible for what happened. And I can't say who that is, but I know it's not me. Oh, my word. A lot of headlines out this week. Welcome back to the program. Dana Lash here with you. Bottom of our second hour, actually broadcasting from SHOT Show. And in addition to talking about all the new ATF fund rules that they're coming out with, this news out today, just as we were going on air, it broke that Alec Baldwin was being charged with manslaughter, not just him, but the armor on set, Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, and also the uh, assistant director as well. Uh, and of course, he already had a plea deal for uh, negligence with a deadly weapon. So this is going to be incredibly interesting. All these statements have already come out. The prosecutor said an actor doesn't get a free pass. Baldwin says it was a miscarriage of justice. Man, there's a lot of stuff to dissect here. One of my favorite people to talk about anything legal related to firearms is Stephen Holbrook. And let me just tell you, he's not on social media. He's one of, I think, the few real legal eagles that are out there. And I love that if you go try to find his profile, it's just his resume. It's amazing. Stephen Holbrook is a very successful Second Amendment attorney. And uh, he's got, I mean, he's he's has writings everywhere. Uh, there's, I don't know what else I can say about him just to introduce him. He joins us by phone. Always a pleasure to have you Stephen. thank you so much for giving us some of your time today i wanted to get just you know your initial thoughts on the news that broke just a little earlier about these charges in that uh, rust shooting case yeah hey dana it's so good to talk to you again look uh this is what i thought from the very beginning you don't pick up a gun not look to see whether it's loaded you point it at somebody and then you pull the trigger i mean please this was manslaughter from the get-go Anybody else would have been charged that day or the next day. Um, mm. And then the, the rumor, I mean, how negligent can you get? You're, you're there. You're paid money to be there to be an expert on guns, not to allow any loaded gun to be on the scene, knowing full well that somebody might pick it up. And uh, it, it's just incredible that this would not be manslaughter. So, um, I don't know whether they were charged in first degree or second degree or, or what those degrees are in that state. It's certainly negligent manslaughter. Is it um, whether it would be aggravated or not? Um, I don't know. It might depend on other facts, but but I, I'm very pleased to see them charged in this way. Yeah, we're talking with Stephen Holbrook, who uh, is a, a an attorney, Second Amendment expert. Uh, as well, and this because and you bring up a really good point. I mean, he was the executive producer of that film so he he hires the armorer and i do think you know and and you meant and you said that you were spot on the involuntary manslaughter charge because you know that's exactly what this was i thought the charges were smart they didn't they didn't overshoot anything they didn't make it harder for themselves to you know have to meet a higher you know some kind of higher standard um but as the executive producer and that's i mean he's got a lot of responsibility on his shoulders now helena hutchins uh the or she was the cinematographer the armorer hannah gutierrez reed was also charged is there how do you view the difference is, is there a difference in your mind between those two she was the armor and yes she's responsible for the firearms but as the executive producer i mean if he sees unsafe practices on on set ultimately it comes down to him to stop it right well yeah it depends on the um, the causation there. And um, so if you allow an unsafe condition to go on, that might uh, result in civil claims against you, whether it would be a, a, the crime of, of manslaughter of some type, um, that, that's a, a, a bridge a little bit further 
so it just depends on the specific facts, and I'm not aware of the specific facts in this case. I, I think that's going to be a harder charge to make. I, I think the easiest charge to be proven, to be prosecuted, is the the guy who pulled the trigger. There's nothing more direct than that. That's the last clear chance to avoid what happened. That 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 go, there, that's the same principle with automobile accident. It's the same. Uh, principle applies where you've got the last clear chance to avoid an accident, even if somebody else was negligent, uh, then then you don't take that chance to avoid the accident. And and here, yeah. you're going up the, the food chain a little bit. The trigger man is most liable. Uh, the person who's sp- directly supposed to be checking the gun is next. And then how far up you can go after that, that's a little bit more problematic. Yeah. Uh, yeah, th- it's just a, it, I mean, it's a, it's an incredibly sad case, I think. Do you think, last question on this, and we're going to talk about the ATF, do you think this is going to, going to change anything with how uh, sets work um, in, in terms of, you know, the, the knowledge required? Because I had always said, you know, I think he was so anti-gun that it actually, it made him stay in ignorance on the issue. And so he couldn't see unsafe practices because, you know, he never, he was opposed to even learning about what he was handling. Is, do you think that there's going to be like an increase in, in scrutiny on this? Because I know it's highly scrutinized already. Um, but I'm just wondering if this is going to, is this going to set a new precedent in how all of this is handled with films? Well, there's no doubt about that. In addition to these criminal charges, there's an immense civil liability here, and that's where the the company, the corporation who is putting this on, who owns what happened, basically, uh, they're going to be liable for millions of dollars in claims if, if they haven't been brought already. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's like we teach gun safety, and, and we have uh, our detractors, people who are against gun safety. And, in fact, they try to change the meaning of the term gun safety to mean uh, anti-gun laws. And this is mm-hmm. such a primary example of how you can have these Hollywood types who hate gun owners and, and guns, and, and then they pick them up because the rules don't apply to them, and then they kill people. So, yeah, there's going to mm-hmm. definitely be a change in the industry. Uh, we're talking with our friend Stephen Holbrook. He's got a number of books out. He's a law professor, Second Amendment. The ATF, which I, we're at, I'm at SHOT Show this week. Uh, the ATF has a booth here uh, at the National Shooting Sports, for those who aren't aware what SHOT Show is. It's the National Shooting Sports Foundation's industry event. So it's where manufacturers come together and they let you know what they've got coming out. They're not selling. You can't buy anything here. That's, they're, they're letting you know what they got coming out. And the ATF, I understand they want to maintain you know, relations with the industry that they want to regulate. But I, I, I thought it was interesting. They were doing booth visits and uh, they're down in, in what in steerage on the steerage floor with a smaller uh, mom and pop shops. I thought they'd be in law enforcement and they're not. Uh, they, they, they were going around and, a- and asking if uh, booth vendors, if they wanted to attend a, you know, a two hour session so that they could help them stay compliant. And I went and asked them about this and I said, you know, what are you doing here? Why are you, you know, what do you, why are you helping them be compliant? I asked them, you know, about the pistol brace rule because they'd sent out, as you know, a letter uh, not long ago saying that pistol braces were fine, they were legal, and then they sent out, and then they have this, now they have this ban, they're just making them, you know, a number of manufacturers, Daniel Defense, put a stop on all this because, you know, they're prohibited. And I asked them about that, and one of them admitted, yeah, well, there was some flip-flopping there, you know, but we really do follow the letter of the law. Well, Stephen, isn't that administrative procedure following the law? I mean, can't you avoid having to resolve stuff in court by following the law and not making the rule law? Well, there's all kinds of issues 
arising from this pistol brace regulation that just became effective. And for years, ATF wrote letters saying that you could put a device on the back part of a pistol. So it was originally approved for people who had the use of one arm only because they were wounded in combat, things like that. And Mm -hmm. so they did approve of it, and then they flip-flopped. And part of this is the fact that we have the Biden administration, and the dictates come from the very top. So it goes through Merrick Garland, the attorney general, and then down to ATF, and they they do what they're told. And so um, it raises all kinds of implications. First of all, it's the Second Amendment. I mean, we know pistols are protected by the Second Amendment. Supreme Court held that in Heller. But then the very idea that an executive branch agency can make a criminal law. Congress defined what a a rifle is. It's a weapon made or remade, designed or redesigned, and intended to be fired from the shoulder. Whether uh, something attached to a pistol would make it intended to be uh, fired from the shoulder depends on a lot of facts. And what ATF has tried to do is to add to that definition the idea that, well, if you have something on the end of the pistol that allows you to fire it from the shoulder and other factors are at, at um, issue, then uh, we're going to say it's a short barrel rifle requiring registration under the National Firearms Act. And these other factors are the, the length and the weight. Oh, yeah, like what length and what weight? <laughs> uh, how it's mm, advertised. Yeah. How are you to know how it's advertised? The, the length of pull, the the distance between the, the trigger and the uh, the back of the device. So these are things that are um, ATF is trying to put this into a regulation that would have criminal implications. Like we learned in eighth grade civics that Congress makes the laws, the executive branch enforces them, the, the courts interpret the laws. But here you have the executive branch trying to make a criminal law. That's not something they're allowed to do. Not, not to right. mention that it's so big. Like, what length of pool are you talking about? Most people don't even know what the term length of pool means. Right. And, and it's on your size. Uh, you have big shoulders, long arms. You have, you know, small shoulders, short arms. Uh, it, it's all different in terms of what a rifle might mean to you and what um, a, 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 just a, simply a pistol with a brace might mean to you. And that's um, and we're talking with Stephen Holbrook. One of the things that and that's that's incredibly interesting because I was wondering, too, did they I didn't recall seeing when I was looking over their role. They don't they didn't include any kind of carve out or grandfather in. um, How do I put this? A consideration for uh, disabled firearm users that would require those. Well, no, I mean. Uh, you can still have a pistol brace, but we just don't know exactly what the dimensions are going to be. It better be small. Okay. Um, wow. you, you can still have the brace. But, but, um, and they're making it easier to register them. You don't have to pay the, the $200 tax, or you can put a 16-inch barrel <laughs> on it, uh, or you can make it where the brace won't fit, or or you can turn the brace into ATF, or you can destroy your pistol. I mean, these are it's totally unrealistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but those, those are the options. And um, we'll see where this goes. I mean, I'd like to see them prosecute when um, you've got all these issues coming up about whether they're authorized to to make criminal laws, and they're not. Uh, Mm -hmm. The fact that this is vague, when they first proposed it, they were telling you specific inches and specific weights, 
And then they took that out in the final regs saying that, well, that was hard to understand. Well, yeah, and it's even harder to understand if you say that you can't have uh, a pistol with a device on the end of it that has a certain length of pull um, because that would make it a rifle. Well, maybe to some Man. people. Do they have like, one standard person who it, the, the device fits to make it a rifle or not a rifle? You know, like, oh. there's some person... Um, some mechanical person, what it, what is it, a, a perfect person? Um, if you're bigger or smaller, what they're saying just doesn't fit. And, and remember yeah. what Congress said, intended to be fired from the shoulder. It, it, right. It's a short barrel rifle, a barrel under 16 inches, and if it's designed and, and made and intended to be fired from the shoulder, it sounds like the intent of the person who is, is using the device so none of this makes sense, and it's all a can of worms, and it, it's going to lead to all kinds of litigation. It already has. It is, yeah. And I'd imagine one last quick question: we got to we got to get rolling talking with Stephen Hallbrook. I, I, do you imagine this ending up like the bump stock reversal with Fifth Circuit? Oh yeah, absolutely. Now we've got a circuit conflict too with uh, this whole issue of on the bump stocks. That's another instance where. ATF tried to make a criminal regulation. They added to the definition of machine gun. I, I think mm-hmm. what Congress said is good enough, and they're the ones who are supposed to make the law. And so now yeah. we have the the fact that different federal courts of appeals are in conflict about whether this is a valid regulation, and that's one of the ways that you get to the Supreme Court when you've got yeah. differences in the courts around the country. It's pretty unbelievable. Stephen Hallbrook, always appreciate your time, my friend. You can find him at Stephen Hallbrook, H-A-L-B-R-O-O-K dot com. And as always, so appreciate your expertise. Thank you so much for giving us some of your time today. We always appreciate you. Hey, good to talk to you, Dana. Have fun at the show. It's his life mission to make bad decisions. <laughs> it's time for Florida Man. All right, we need to have a conversation about this woman in Delray Beach. So for the third time in over, in just what, two years, and no, third time in just two years, Florida police had to pull this Florida woman out of a storm drain. What is happening that you get stuck in a storm drain that many times? So Delray Beach said they responded to a call of someone possibly in distress while swimming in a canal near Lindell Boulevard in Delray Beach. When they responded... They asked if the woman needed help. Police said she ignored them and climbed into a storm drain. She refused to come out and kept crawling farther into the pipe. I saw it, okay? I don't. She clearly didn't. Firefighters were able to contain her between two sections of pipe. They had to use a ladder and a rescue harness to get her out. Her name is Lindsay Kennedy. She had minor injuries. She was taken to hospital from evaluation. She was rescued from a storm drain in March of 2021. And she was back then she was responded. She was reported missing by her boyfriend. 20 days later, they found her stuck in this pipe. And uh, then she entered it again and got lost and wandered through the tunnels for weeks, she said. And then she was found again in a storm drain. Uh, The third time she was found, it was in Grand Prairie, Texas. She found herself a little storm drain to hang out in and had to be rescued. I have never heard of anything like that. That's very interesting so yeah don't be doing that watch it right and just don't be don't be doing that this is um i'm not reading this one a fight over a okay the villages this is the villages and i can totally see this happening at the villages 
I just need, I need you all to see her. Oh, man, I wish I could just, just somehow kick this image of her, her mugshot in your heads. I've never seen a woman look so satisfied with herself. Uh, she got into a fight. Two Florida women got into a fight over a seat in a popular restaurant. And it ended with a villager. It sounds like Minecraft. It sounded, ended with a villager behind bars. The altercation took place Friday at the Harvest Restaurant in Brownwood Paddock Square. Julie Marsh, 56, of Pine Ridge Village, she took a seat at the restaurant. The seat had been claimed by another couple. The couple com- returned. One woman confronted Marsh. They got into a fight. It was crazy. So she was arrested on a charge of battery. And she looks very proud in her mugshot. Third hour on the way. Stick with us. In my country, we passed the Inflation Reduction Act, which is primarily a climate uh, act, $369 billion, which will actually be much larger than... Hmm. What? Uh, what? Yeah, that's the craziness. Welcome back to the program. Dana Lash here with you, broadcasting from Shancho in Vegas. So that's... um. Al Gore at the, what is it, the World Economic Forum, WEF. We were just talking about this before we went on air. I have been totally shocked by some, because I, and I always thought they were weird. Like, there's a difference between people who are on the left that are just, you know, they think differently from you, right? Like, okay, we disagree. And then there are those people who are a little further than that, that you're like, okay, I can get along with you. You're a weirdo, but I can get along with you. And then there are people like Al Gore. The stuff that he's saying, well, you know what he said, though? What, the Inflation Reduction Act, it is a climate. See, he said it was about climate, which is about income redistribution. So that's fascinating to me. Because he's saying what nobody else would say. He didn't want to say any of that. He didn't want to say any of that stuff. He didn't want to tell. He didn't. No Democrats haven't want to talk about any of that. Mm-mm. But it's true. It's a climate bill. It's about wealth w- income redistribution. All right. So just fascinating. So coming up, we've been. And you, by the way, you can see all of our videos, all of our past discussions with guests up on YouTube. Everything is up there. We got a lot of stuff. Ha- everything is up there. So there's been. Looking at, I have some audio I wanted to share with you. Speaking of the Davos stuff, uh, Joe Manchin, Audio Soundbite 6, was there. And he had some apologies for, I guess, the way that he was describing the press. Listen to this. Uh, the problem that we have is the open press system and basically all the platforms. So if you're able to have five platforms, social platforms, that you can basically um, personify the extremes somebody who is extremely right or extremely left and it seems like that is the majority speaking they're not the majority but they're basically driving everybody to make a decision Mm, yeah well it is i think there's some truth to that but i still don't trust him you know why i don't trust him i don't trust him because he's just everything that happened with uh the little buyout that he did and then he ended up not getting anything with regards to energy nothing at all uh, a couple of other bits of audio i want to make sure that i play for you because i want you to hear them uh, audio summit 11 so kjp again yesterday not a great presser for her not a great white house press conference uh, she got real snippy with a reporter who was simply asking what we all want to know about the classified documents found in every which location now listen 
as it relates to uh, anything that you want to ask of us uh, about uh, this uh, this legal matter, I would refer you to the White House Counsel uh, Office. I'm, I'm going to leave it there. I'm not going to go I'm into further. I'm simply asking you to comment I, and on I just, the person I, that you work for. I just commented. I just commented. We're moving on. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I already answered your question. Go ahead. Well, I I did. Well, it's your it's your opinion. It's your opinion. It's your opinion. That is your opinion. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. That's mine. It is. Go ahead. She said that's not good. I don't think that she's the best. I really don't think that she's the best one to do that. Yeah, she's not good. She's not good at that stuff. You, you can't be doing that. You can't be like that. You can't be, you know, that adversarial with the press. That's why they usually pick somebody to do that job. They usually pick someone from the press and someone who has relationships, you know, whether or not, you know, they're right or left, somebody who at least, you know, has some relationships with some of those people uh, because they need to be able to deal with it. They got to be able to, you know, I deal with with and and under and at least know these folks enough to where they can talk and you know sort of you know massage the whole you know the conversation etc all kinds of very interesting stuff all right so that and let's kick on this audio soundbite nine director ray on digital surveillance now i was thinking about his soundbite here when i was looking at some of the stuff that um, I, w- I was going over and I was rereading that that ATF pistol brace rule because I was specifically looking for any comment on disability, which we just talked with Stephen Hallbrook, Second Amendment reporter on. And I want you to listen to this because when we were there, someone's like, well, you know, they got facial surveillance there at the ATF booth. And then someone was explaining to me how it was set up in the back. And now I'm totally wrapped in tinfoil. So I want you to listen to this. This is from, this is from Christopher Ray on digital surveillance. In a world, whether you want to call it cat and mouse or anything else, where in a world where all these technologies are available to both the good guys and the bad guys, the good guys are constrained by the rule of law and international norms. Bad guys aren't, which you could argue, in a sense, gives them a competitive advantage. No, good laws. Um, yeah, now, yeah, now do gun laws. Wow. Or do restorative justice, period. Yeah. That's all restorative justice, all of it. You know what? I'm going to tell you, that's like a huge, I was talking to some of the vendors here. So you have, so at SHOT Show, NSSF, and it's only one time a year. And I, I don't, it's, the show's not all about gun stuff this one time a year. But I, this is when I can go and ask vendors questions that, and vendors, I mean, you know, you have FFLs here, federal firearm licensees, people who sell and who, ta- who, who deal with the public every single day, Right. And one of the things that I've been asking each of them is because they get requ- they get you know purchase orders in. What are you what are you seeing people? What are, what are your most what are the things that that are being most requested? You know, if it's a manufacturer, what if and if they're an FFL? Because a lot of times they have their own stuff and they come here and they also you know they want to establish relationships with some manufacturers. And I ask them, you know, what are you hearing from people who are coming in? And first off, every single one were telling me that they think that the number of women who are getting concealed carry is grossly undercounted because they've said that they have seen, um, I was talking to a woman uh, the other day who has, uh, they do, she does holsters and uh, they have a range and all kinds of stuff. And she was saying that the number of women that's just been coming through her doors has doubled in the past two years. And she says, I just don't think the figures for women getting, I think that they're actually under, uh, I think they're underestimating those numbers. 
I've been and and I've been hearing that from other people too. Completely independent, don't even know each other from her. And so, everybody, their customer base is being driven by one thing, first and foremost, personal security. Because now there's a difference between oh, I just want to make sure personal security like ten years ago and then today, because they see the crime. They see the crime, right? They see these repeat offenders getting thrown back out on the street. Right after they get a wrist slap over a violent crime, they see them going back out on the street. So they're they're thinking about all of this stuff, how to keep themselves safe, how to do all of this. You know, one of the uh, one of our friends, uh, Rick Ector, you know, he was doing classes, you know, helping women, uh, training women, even helping women if they're because he's had specific requests from women who come out of the grocery store and they got more than one kid and they want to know what's my technique here, how am I safe? not flagging my kids, getting to the, you know, if something happens, how do I deal with it? And he actually, like, had classes for that. That's as cool as it gets. So that, I mean, that tells you right there how insane this is with law and order. The restorative justice that's driving the crime. Now, combine that with the numbers that we just got from John Lott, who was on the show yesterday. And all of these major city centers, or all these major, you know, these big metropolitan cities, the hom- the, they're, they're the, just dragging the state for homicide rate. And it's, you look at those, those are the activist judges. Those are where the restorative justice is most concentrated. And it's where you're seeing the most homicide and violent crime. And it really just blows apart. Remember that narrative that they kept pushing? They were doing this on MSNBC too. And I think they even had a piece on 60 Minutes about this. But do you, re- you remember when they said, oh, no, 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 this, this whole concept of blue states have more crime. Look at these red states. Well, those are Democrat-run red states. And you can actually, I mean, because you can watch and measure, and that's one of the other things that John studied it, you can measure the recidivism rate against the crime. Holy cow. Restorative justice. It's exactly what that is. So... That's one of the things that they are really, they're like, we, it's unlike anything we've ever seen before. And so people want, they want, you know, it's all about concealed. That's why you're starting to see, now when you're looking out at stuff and you see, you know, trends and, you know, what people are carrying and all that, like there's a lot, like the, um, I got a really awesome build, um, an AR-15 from 5150, a great manufacturer. And I mean, this, uh, this thing is so sweet. I'm actually writing up something about it because it's just really innovative. And though it's, I mean, it's like a dream build for that platform. But one of the things, and this is going to sound so dumb, is just, you know, the grip itself. Everybody's making, like, slimmer options for women so that your hands are not all stretched out to, you know, kingdom come trying to, you know, especially if you do a lot of training with stuff. I mean, I would rub the skin off my hands on sometimes, depending on what we were training and how long we were training for. It is so comfortable to carry. But, man, I got a two-pound competition trigger. It's the same one that they have on all the John Wick guns. It's so cool. Um, the I, I Athlon Optics gave, has the optics on it. It's like the – I don't have an optic. It's so cool. Anyway, I'm going to write up something about it. And you can – for those of you who are big-time enthusiasts, you can pour over it. But my point in saying this is that they said that they realized they needed to come out with slimmer options for women because so many women are – they see what's happening and they want to make sure that they can handle their own protection. So you can always, that's when you hear headlines and you hear, you know, Democrats, oh, there's nothing wrong with law. You know, there's nothing wrong with crime. There's nothing wrong. They try to downplay all this. You look at what the public's doing and buying. Talk to people like who are in that industry that sells protective items. 
and ask them. They are the true measure of this. Some of the other stuff we're going to hit as well today. I told you I had some wokery for you. And do I ever. So in Missouri, they're getting real mad because they had to. There's outrage. Actually, it's, I, I shouldn't say real mad. It's called outrage. Missouri lawmakers have a new dress code. And they're asking women to cover their shoulders. It was part of a rules package. Now, here's the thing. They're all getting mad. And they're all screaming sexism. But men have to wear jackets on the floor. So why, if you want equality, isn't that equality? I mean, I don't know. We'll talk about this here coming up. We also got headlines on the way, too. And now, all of the news you would probably miss. It's time for Dana's Quick Five, brought to you by Caltech. Mm-hmm. All right, so this headline, skipping meals, like if you're doing the intermittent fasting, a study says now that might be linked to an increased risk of death. Does that, I mean, you're not supposed to not eat. It just means like, you know, I don't know what they're looking at, but they said that some dieting and fitness plans might be doing more harm than good, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I told you all what I think think about keto. Uh, The researchers at University of Tennessee Health Science Center say that eating only one meal per day is associated with an increased risk of death for American adults 40 and over. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you should just eat when you're hungry. Unless you're like hungry all the time and then then you probably need a plan. But I don't know. Uh, This... Regular visits to green spaces linked to lower use of certain prescriptions, according to a study from Finland. They looked at 16,000 residents in Helsinki, Espoo, and Vanta. And they said that if they get out, they said that observed connections between you know visits to parks and green spaces actually lower drug usage for depression, anxiety, insomnia, and high blood pressure and asthma. And they said none of this was dependent on anybody's educational or income level. I actually think that there's something about just getting away from people and, you know, being out there i'm just saying that's why i want my concrete house out in the woods with some running water i want a concrete house out in the woods with some running water and be able you know to shoot the ground carp that is deer off my porch that's all i want to be able to do in life i'm just saying all right so uh, a woman this is hang on let me pull this up this is this is a weird headline it's not wanting to pull up this woman was saved okay this story is so weird this is ktoo a woman was saved Homer, Alaska, by a rabbit after falling through the ice. But it was a dead rabbit. Okay, what? I, this is where it gets crazy. 29-year-old hiking and rafting guide. She's like, she's a she understands survivalism and being outside. So she knows techniques for getting out of frozen water, etc. So she fell into an open patch of icy water and didn't panic. It wasn't her first time. And so uh, she said she had been skating near this glacier uh, with a group of a dozen others. And so she said she went through the ice and she realized um, after she went in the ice, she had to pull herself out, blah, blah, blah. This is a horribly written article. Uh, long story short, she used a snowshoe hair to help pull herself out of the icy water because she didn't have like a rope and all this other stuff. Is that not cr- I mean, what? That's crazy. And she said she was thinking about making some, like, slippers out of it. Which makes me kind of like her, you know? I'm like, that's that's pretty hardcore, man. That's pretty hardcore. We have a lot more on the way. You don't want to miss it. Stick with us. More of the Dana Show here from Vegas coming up. Shooting down woke culture one crazy headline at a time. It's the Dana Show.
If you have the booster, you can eat lunch normally. If you don't, you got to be segregated in the corner for not having the booster. Maybe they make you wear a mask, all this stuff, even though the boosted person is more likely to be getting it. So it's insane. It's irrational. And so no discrimination uh, on this VAC status. Uh, no requirements uh, of masking in lieu of VAX or for any other reason. And those are really, really important. You know, sometimes you just have to say a Enough is enough. That's true. Right there. That's uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. And it's interesting because uh, they he's got the uh, I saw this piece that said his blueprint for America from Florida where the woke go to from the where woke uh, where woke dies. And it's they're trying to like hit in for his, you know, his war in the state on the coronavirus rules and CRT and all this other stuff. But you know what? Why are, the question should be why are other governors not doing this? Like where where are other governors? Where where are they at on this? And that's the thing. Um like for instance, we were having this um I I one of the questions that I had, we were trying to get um, Greg Abbott to Texas governor to talk about the extension of the disaster declaration with regards to coronavirus, because it keeps being extended over and over again. Like there's like a no end to it. And it, it, every time it came up to sunset, they would extend it again. Like, why are we still, we were like a thousand days under a statewide disaster declaration already. Like, why are we still doing this? And remember, we had reached out and asked Abbott's office, and man, they wouldn't answer a single question. They wouldn't answer it. They wouldn't give us an answer because they were extending it. And what gets me is that, you know, DeSantis, governors like DeSantis and others, they reach out to folks. And want to discuss stuff even you know christy noam who i think her her comms guy is ridiculous and i think if she's ever going to have a shot at 2024 she's got to get rid of him but you know she's you know that if you got a question you can ask they'll reach out they'll answer questions why is it i got to chase my own governor he's been on the show a lot and i you know i don't dislike him but i'm like why do i got to sit here and chase you down people are asking questions and when he goes and does fox news and all that you know the you is we're on so many different affiliates we have so many different affiliates in Texas. You know, that's just, you know, a question to ask for those folks. I mean, maybe, you know, take a couple of minutes or just reply to, you know, an earnest inquiry on whether or not you're going to do something like that. I mean, it just, I don't know. It's frustrating. It gets frustrating with all this stuff. It really does. You want answers from lawmakers. Now, Missouri, I got to tell you this. So Missouri, they're mad because they passed this new rules package. And apparently part of it is a new dress code for women in the state house. They have to they have to cover their shoulders. Oh, my gosh. It's just like Sharia. So bad. Now. It was funny because Representative Ann Kelly, who is a Republican congresswoman who sponsored the bill. She. She was one of those who I guess they like ignored the fact that there were women who were simply asking for professional dress. There was one a Democrat, uh, Ashley Ann, this Democrat rep, and she went on, gave this overdramatic thing. Do you know what it's like to have a bunch of men in this room looking at your top, trying to decide whether it's appropriate or not? 
And Ann Kelly, the representative who who sponsored the bill, she goes, you'd think that all you'd have to say is dress professionally and women could handle it. That's it. Now, in on the when you're men have to wear, you know, you have to wear the jackets and, and that on the floor. But there wasn't a rule like that for women. Apparently, there's not anything in the in the Senate where women have to wear bla- blazers or jackets. But you can't treat it like, you know, like some of these people think that Forever 21 is literal and they go in and they buy like you know tank tops and spaghetti straps, you know, dress the part. I actually have no problem with this. I think you should dress professionally when you're representing people. You know, have respect for the role and your purpose. And don't, you know, dress like a Forever 21 mannequin when you're going in and you're, you know, representing people. I mean, good grief. I love it how women are so empowered, but oh my gosh, if you tell them to dress professionally, they totally, like, totally have a meltdown like OMJ. That was what's happening apparently in the Missouri House. I can only imagine what that one... That one chick sounded like. I bet it was like a female Cartman up there screaming about how men are staring. You know what? Everyone's going to look at you if you dress like a fool. That's a, you know, that's that's just common sense. That's common sense. Even Kirsten Cinema always, you know, she dresses quirky sometimes. There's nothing wrong with that. It's professional quirk. She's always dressed nice. She's in nice pieces. And she's a Democrat. I love that comment, though, from Ann Kelly. You would think that I can just, you would think that all you'd have to say is dress professionally. Women could handle it. Well, apparently not all of them can. They had the weeping and gnashing of the teeth over this was ridiculous. It is just, so, someone said, you know, uh, maybe just trust that women can dress professionally. This isn't about women's rights. This isn't about, this is so stupid. If men have the requirement to wear jackets, then why, it's not a women's rights issue. I cannot even believe you're going to have a bitch fest over not having, I, I want my shoulders bare. Stop it. This is so goofy. And you can wear knit blazers. You can wear a cardigan. You can wear all of that stuff. Good heavens. I think it's, they have, these women would have no problems going into a club that has a dress code. You know what I mean? But oh my gosh, going to the house, Missouri. If it has a dress code, oh, my word, I just cannot. I'm going to need my smelling salts. I cannot believe you can't. I can't wear my club wear in here. Oh, my goodness. I may faint. Trying to do my best. Dixie Carter. But this, I think it's silly. Absolutely silly. There was one Democrat who posted uh, a photo of her, uh, bare arms and she like they act like it's a big it's just so goofy i can't even believe this is like a conversation that there are there a debate that they're having claire mccaskill even was on uh, msnbc and i talking about it from her kitchen saying that you know apparently how it's misogynistic or something like is it misogyny though when men are required or only is it sexism if men are required and not women? Or only when or it's only sexism when women are expected to meet the standards of men with whom they want to be equal? It's actually equality. Yeah, that's what we would call equality. It's equality. You know that song? It's Britney Bees. It's equality bees. There you go. All right, I have a couple of things. Supreme Court issued a report on the Dobbs leak, but says they haven't identified the leaker. That's it. That's all they have. They literally just issued a report. And the only thing that's being said is they've yet to determine who leaked a draft opinion overturning Roe v. Wade to the media last year. And that's it. Yeah, yeah. Nothing's changed. It's also, but they, they, they still don't know who it is. 
That's crazy that they don't know who it is. It seems like it would be very easy to find out, right? It would be very easy to find out who that is. Just saying. But they don't seem to be very, oh, I don't know, motivated, I guess. I wonder if why. If I were doing the uh, investigation, I would look at first. It's not like 100,000 people work for SCOTUS. So, yeah. you know, we'd find out who had access and then process of elimination. It, we, 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 we would know by now. Is and, and really, ultimately, isn't it? It'd have to be like somebody who clerks for one of them. I mean, that's, I think that's kind of the big, that's the big, uh, suspicion, I believe. That's really what, you know, ultimately what I think it is. Uh, I got a couple of other, I I keep seeing video cuts from this WEF thing. A Saudi Arabian diplomat, uh, Ahmed Al Jubir, was talking about his vision of the future and he said there's going to be no cars. Aren't these the people, by the way? that are it aren't the uh the saudi arabia they're building they had this one guy who's building this long skinny rectangle where you're going to live in it with everybody else in a hellscape you're going to live in a long rectangular hellscape a city it's a giant wall it is a giant wall i looked at that i can't they just they started building it they actually started it who do that you 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 have to live in a long wall. You can't drive, and you have to eat bugs. I'm sorry, but that sounds like a regular household mouse. No, Dana, it's the future. That sounds like a you're a mouse in a house. It's progress. It sounds like hell. Progress is hell. That's what it sounds like. Some of the stuff that they've been saying. I keep seeing these videos that uh, that are being released. Like they have these sessions and they get together. These people are freaks. This is freak stuff, is what it is. Now, we're, I, I believe in a world of no cars. That's great. You know what? That's your imagination. Your imagination at work, because it's not going to happen. Not going to happen. I mean, I... I uh, <laughs> there's a... Corinne Jean-Pierre. She's been going back and forth in the press avail today. And uh, talking to CBS News. And... They they had this long back and forth, and I'm seeing some of it now. Uh, and he was saying that, uh, you know, the first call that Biden's personal attorneys made on November 2nd wasn't to the FBI, that they had found these top secret documents. It was to the West Wing. How is that the right thing? And it's funny because the some of the reporters around them, I'm going to drop this in Slack for you. Some of the reporters around them have the craziest expressions on their faces. Like, is this journalism? You asking these questions? Is this, is this the journalism, Steve? If you get that, play that for me because this was just a bit ago. Listen, it's it's interesting. The reason I ask is is that what we now know, the, the president's counsel statement, the president's personal lawyer statement, shed a bit more light on this, but they raised more questions, uh, namely. The first call that the president's personal attorneys made on November 2nd was not to the FBI that they had found what we now know were top secret documents out in the open. The first call was to officials here at this White House in the West Wing. How is that the right thing? Is that the right thing when you see some, if you're a lawyer and you're, you don't have a security clearance and you see a classified document, shouldn't you call the Justice Department's National Security Office right away? Again, I'm going to refer you to the White House Counsel's Office. That is something for them to answer. That is a very specific question uh, that they 
should answer that they will engage you with engage with on you on this just like my colleague did for almost an hour and had this conversation with all of you. I well that's an unfortunate fact that I don't think a lot of people were privy to. Their first call was the West Wing, not the FBI. As they kind of intimated, right? Listen to the Dana Show live on the Odyssey app. Weekdays, noon to 3 p.m. Eastern Time. Oh, political vengeance. Uh, you know, Kevin McCarthy uh, seems to want to heat up the leftovers of a story that goes back to Barack Obama's first term. FBI has said three different times uh, in a rare form, they never talk about investigations, that all I did was help them, never suspected of wrongdoing. Today, the Washington Post fact checker, Glenn Kessler, put out a story uh, giving McCarthy four Pinocchios for his claims. But the consequence of his claims is just is not just that I'm not on the committee and he's weaponized the Intelligence Committee. It's that it inspires these death threats. It doesn't. What? What is he even talking about? That's Eric Swalwell. Uh, Eric Farswell, who, yeah, that's right, uh, who is mad because he was stripped of his committee positions. I do think, welcome back to the last segment of the third hour here, Dana Lash with you. I do think that when you are on the intel committee and you're sleeping with a Chinese spy, communist Chinese spy, CCP, member of the CCP, um... Maybe you shouldn't be on the Intel Committee. Just a suggestion. Right? I mean, that seems... I mean, think about all the stuff that y'all do. You, if, if you get like... Um, what is it? I, don't, I mean, I might be exaggerating here, but... Even if you get like, uh, you know, traffic violation or something like that, or, you know, that can actually impede your ability to get clearance if you're working for government. But this guy can bang a spy yeah. he's on the intel committee and you have to have clearance to be on the committee these he apparently believes that he should be held to a different standard than everybody else i don't know and also i don't want anyone sitting on any powerful committee who threatened to nuke people you could say he did it facetiously i don't think so because these people interpret everything literally so i'm going along with their literal interpretations if you make a joke they interpret it literally it is literally literal so I'm just going along with our own literalness. So I, I mean, he, he talked about nuking everybody. There you go, right there. So I just don't, he just, they can sit here and they, it's not about political vengeance. It's about accountability. That's how they look at accountability. If you hold them accountable for what they do, you're taking revenge on them. They have to position it in a way to where they can always be the victim. These people never found, find any value in merit. All their value is placed in, victim, in victimhood. Oh, I did something bad. How dare you hold me accountable? This is political vengeance. No, it's called accountability. You complete moron. It's called accountability. So I'm glad that he ended up losing that. So he's, he's just upset. He's just upset. He can be all upset about that all he wants to. I just watched, I just saw this thing showing the price of Campbell's tomato soup. The price is going sky high. They keep accelerating higher and higher. That's crazy. Campbell, just tomato soup. $1.26 per can. Amazon, it's $1.59. Kroger, it's a dollar. Walgreens, it's almost $2. That's crazy. That's just price sampling of the Campbell's condensed tomato soup. What is it? Albertsons, $1.29. Food line, $1.25. Wait, why is it only that much there? And then when you look at CVS, it's $2.29. 
That's a 27% increase. What in the world? Why is it so, why is it higher at a CVS than anywhere else? All right, so tomorrow is going to be our last day at SHOT Show here in Vegas. I'm going to be at Caltex booth later on. Uh, but in the meantime, it's time for today in Stupidity. Oh, boy. And uh, Karine Jean-Pierre, boy, she's been in, well, par form for the last few months by not answering anything, avoiding questions, and then... The faux pas, the mistakes. Check this out. She actually calls Kamala Harris president in this audio. Cut three, Steve. This Sunday, the president will speak about the fight to secure women's fundamental right to reproductive health care in the face of these attacks. She will talk about what's at stake for millions of women across the country. So, yeah, she, the president, will talk about those issues. Yeah, um, I think she's so used to reading things prepared for her that uh, she's even reading the Kamala typos. Is the president, yeah, so like Biden does. You can't give him that. He'll read anything on screen. Everybody knows Ron reads everything written for him. You can't do that, folks. That does it for us today. Tomorrow we have Congressman Bob Good on the program uh, and a few other surprise guests. So have a great night. Make sure you find all the past interviews on Facebook and YouTube. Subscribe to Substack Chapter and Verse. I'll be back tomorrow.